So it is a Friday afternoon, and I'm heading to the Woodruff Library, where I just booked an appointment to, to study for an hour. Hi. Um, here's my appointment for, yeah. Thank you. All right, will do. Thank you very much. Have a good day. From the Emory Wheel, I'm Gabriella Lewis. This is Wheel Talk. It's been over a year since Emory community members received an email from interim provost Jan Love titled Spring Break Extension and Move to Remote Learning. The email read, Effective immediately, Emory University will extend spring break for students and transition to remote learning for graduate and undergraduate classes. Residential learning will be suspended for the remainder of the semester while the university remains open. In the past year, Emory students and faculty have had to deal with some of the most challenging obstacles imaginable, but the actual moment of receiving the word that our world would never be the same is something we'll never forget. Editor-in-Chief Isaiah Poritz tells us more of the stories from March 11th, 2020. So can you tell us who you are and what your role at The Wheel is and how The Wheel has been covering things in this past year? Well, my name is Isaiah Poritz. I'm the new Editor-in-Chief at The Emory Wheel, and I'm also a producer on this podcast. It's my fourth day on the job so far, and it's been going pretty well. This past year, however, The Wheel has been operating completely online. We've been holding meetings virtually, and this is obviously because of the pandemic. So can you bring us back to the beginning of the spring 2020 semester? What was going on on campus? What was The Wheel doing to cover it? How was everything being handled? So back in spring 2020, I was the news editor at The Wheel, so I was helping with our driving our coverage of the Democratic presidential primary, which seemed like one of the bigger issues on campus. And COVID was a concern of ours, but it very much felt like a foreign issue or something that wasn't going to be affecting our day-to-day lives. However, we did end up writing an article fairly early on. Our first article about the coronavirus was on January 28th, which was a roundtable of Emory Health experts. So like you said, on January 28th, we published a roundtable discussing with five different Emory healthcare experts, some of them epidemiologists, some of them uh, professors. And the general sentiment from them was that coronavirus was a concern. And remember, it didn't even have the name COVID-19 at the time. It was just being referred to as a coronavirus. Uh, But the sentiment ultimately was that it wasn't that big of a deal, especially in the United States, and it wasn't something that we would need to immediately worry about. So going back and reading that article is kind of unsettling now. Um, It obviously didn't really turn out that way. For example, a professor in the Department of Medicine, Bruce Ribner, said that if this became widespread in the United States, we were looking at 30 to 50,000 fatalities, which right now we have over 529,000. So then a couple of weeks later, I covered other events, one of them including uh, a talk with Executive Associate Dean of the School of Medicine, Carlos Del Rio. And he was even joking and kind of making offhanded regards. You know, I think this really goes to show that we knew nothing. And on February 29th, Emory decided to cancel its Italy study abroad program after the CDC classified the country as a level three threat for the virus. 
And so nine students were ultimately recalled from studying abroad in Italy. But again, even though that was a big story for us, it felt like it was not going to affect our life on a day-to-day basis. Right. Like you said, things really continued to feel normal, and they even continued to feel normal going into spring break, which started on March 6th, which obviously was when everything kind of went down. So Isaiah, will you tell us your story uh, during spring break and when you got that fateful email? For spring break itself, I decided to go to Savannah, Georgia with a couple of my friends for the first half and then return to campus for the second half. And it was over that weekend, that first weekend of spring break, that I think all of us started to realize that when we came back from spring break, things were not going to look the same. I have a very distinct memory, a vivid memory, of being on the beach on Tybee Island, and my cell phone is blowing up with news notifications of the stock market plunging because of the virus, of the virus spreading quickly across the country. I was on vacation at the same time, knowing that when I get back, I'm going to have to start writing about this. So I did come back to campus on March 10th, which is the same day that Emory admitted its first coronavirus patient, and also the same day that Harvard University decided to cancel its in-person classes and move everyone out of residence halls. At that point, I knew it was only a matter of time before Emory was going to follow suit. And I just remember pacing in my dorm room over the next day, waiting for that email and making sure I was ready to hop on, uh, hop on an article and start writing about it. It wasn't until 9, 12 p.m. on March 11th that the email was sent out. And um, that was just a, a very chaotic moment of both my trying to figure out what we're going to do for our coverage of this, how we're going to cover the move out, but at the same time I had to figure out my own situation and figure out how I was going to get back home. Every Emory student, and probably most students across the country, really had that moment of what am I going to do. I for sure definitely had that. And so we're going to tell some of the stories of both faculty members and administrators, as well as also students, and what they did after they got that email. So one professor who I spoke to who had a very logistically challenging spring break last year was Professor Anthony Martin. He teaches a modern and ancient tropical environments field course. And in that course, it includes a campus portion at the beginning of the semester, but then a field aspect of the course that happens during spring break. So during the break, he, along with his class go to San Salvador Island in the Bahamas, which has only 500 people. And while he was telling me that this is actually the closest foreign country to Atlanta by straight distance, it does take them a long time to get there, having to go through multiple different layovers to finally reach this remote island in the Bahamas. He was telling me that they were actually pretty lucky and that the trip had not been canceled at the beginning of the spring break because at the time the Bahamas had zero cases and there were other study abroad spring break trips that had been canceled because they're in places with far more cases. It wasn't out of question to him that they might not be coming back to the same memory that they, that they left. So we left on March 6th. It was March 11th while we were on the island, a little more than halfway through the field course that we got the word that everything had changed at Emory. Uh, We were at the field station when we got the announcement. The field station is the Drace Research Center, which is on the northern end of uh, San Salvador Island. Uh, But we had done a full day of field work. We had dinner, 
after dinner, we got together as a class uh, in our, our designated classroom. We probably met until about 8.30 that night. Then we broke for the evening. I remember I was in my, uh, in my room at the field station, looked at email, and the email arrived. The very first email I sent was to my wife. And I said, looks like I have an extended, quotation mark, spring break. Uh, according to other professors here, this is what almost every other U.S. college and university is doing. Mm -hmm. Very strange times we're living through right now. So then I got together with my colleague, Dr. Hayes, and several of the students were, were in shock about what had happened. Uh, and then we realized everything had changed, but we were still there. Mm -hmm. We weren't coming back. Yeah, we didn't leave San Salvador until the 14th, and we mm -hmm. spent uh, spent the night on the 14th in Nassau. So we didn't come back to the United States even until the 15th, mm -hmm. so four days after receiving this message about uh, everything changing on, on the campus. So I don't think I was so much worried or or scared or anything like that, I think one of our first concerns uh, was uh, the well-being of our students. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. how, are, how are they going to handle this? And it certainly was something that far outside of the United States on such a remote island with so... It's not easy to get there. Yeah. It's not yeah. easy to get back. And knowing... There was that added layer of stress, I think, for our students in... Is everything going to be all right in getting back? And then they suddenly had to pack up and leave campus. When they did come back, he did tell me it was a difficult process. A lot of the students who had some fears, particularly the international students, because they'd be re-entering the country after being in a foreign country and were worried about visa issues for them. We were very concerned about our return trip because we, again, had no idea what the United States was doing in terms of screening. Mm -hmm. And some of my students were not from the United States, so they were really worried about were, would they even be allowed back into the United States. So these were all big questions we had. Uh, what was interesting is that in Nassau, you can actually go through, when you're taking a flight to the United States, you actually go through U.S. Immigration and Customs in Nassau. So that cut out a, a potentially very difficult, complex part of the trip. <laughs> mm -hmm. And we flew through Immigration and Customs in Nassau, which was really strange mm -hmm. because we thought it would be harder no one asked us a question about, do you have a fever? In hindsight, we're all like, we yeah. can't believe they didn't do any screaming. Someone else I spoke to for this story was the dean of the Emory College of Arts and Sciences, Michael Elliott, who had the incredibly difficult challenge of figuring out how to transition these classes online and continue education during the pandemic. We were following all of the news of different uh, performances and sporting leagues, canceling events and universities making decisions. And that's 
when I uh, you know, received the phone call from uh, Jan Love, the interim provost, saying that we were heading in the same direction. And I feel like I heard that news about 24 hours, maybe a little bit more, but not much more, than uh, before the email went out to the entire campus. I remember sitting in this hotel room in Phoenix, staying up late into the night, composing the emails that we would send out to faculty uh, and staff in the college as soon as the announcement came out about spring break. And I also remember getting on the phone early the next morning with the members of my team and trying to streamline our communications and troubleshoot the problems that were immediately arising. He described booking a flight back to Atlanta that week and feeling very anxious to get back to start figuring out what to do logistically. There were so many questions and so many answers that he needed to to find. And he remembers the plane flight back actually being very crowded because Arizona is a, a big hub for spring training for the Major League Baseball. And when that had canceled as well, a lot of people were taking flights out of Arizona. But again, at the time, there wasn't a lot of guidance about whether or not people should be wearing masks. At that point, I was not really anxious for my own health. The virus, in the news at least, felt more uh, localized in terms of geography to the Northeast and the Northwest. Mm -hmm. um, but I was very anxious to get back to Emory and to engage in the work of you know, uh, transforming the entire uh, semester to the mm -hmm. remote experience that you experienced. At that point, there were a million logistical questions mm -hmm. to address. And even more than that, all of us who were involved in administration were worried about the questions that we hadn't yet anticipated. An important comment that he mentioned to me was the difficulty that he and other administrators had in recognizing that students and faculty were under so much stress at that time trying to figure out their situations and figuring out how to go back home, um, how to stay safe. And he really felt like he wanted to tell these students you know, that everything is going to be okay and he really wanted to relieve that stress that they were facing. But at the same time, because of how novel this issue was and how we'd never seen anything like it before, it's difficult to say with absolute confidence or certainty that everything will be okay. I spoke to a student named Juan Martin Abreu Milan, who, like many students, just returned home for spring break he is from Miami, Florida, and when he got back home, he said that his parents did have some concerns about, you know, hanging out with too many people, but he did decide to go meet a friend to go to a Miami Heat game. And it was actually at this game that he learned that Emory would be closing down. 
we were like, all right, whatever, let's go watch a game. Because I mean, with COVID, like, we still were like blind, but we still were like, like I like we knew it was coming, but we were like, okay, like it's probably fine. There's no cases yet. Like we like might as well just sing and just go and see how it, and just just enjoy the game. So while we were at the game, um, basically, I mean, it was a normal game. Everything was fine until like the third quarter. My email starts buzzing, and it was like. And we're saying like, oh, everything is going to be online for the rest of the semester. And me and my uh, my friend, we were like kind of like having like a no shit moment. This is actually like serious. And then right around that time as well, by quarter four of the game, everyone's phones started buzzing about the NBA being canceled. The last game that was going on was actually our game. Everyone's phones started buzzing. We were just like, man, like the players are on the on the court. Like they have no idea what the hell's going on because they're in the middle of playing the game. Yeah. Um, basically, their entire season just got canceled. I started seeing tweets that like Miami started having the first case of COVID. Like literally all in the span of a night. And I was just like, oh my god, what if like in this large gathering that was a super spur event and I have COVID? Like like mm-hmm. it was already like like thinking the worst. So something that he described to me was after receiving the announcement kind of feeling relieved he told me that he had a test the next week and he now knew it was going to be pushed back he didn't have a whole lot of concern about that but a day or two later i think is when it really hit him that nothing was going to be going back to normal that this was much bigger than just any test any other week it was basically the last time i had seen my friends really for a while and i haven't still been seeing some of my best friends since then and it was kind of crazy because the day before i left to miami one of my best friends that he was graduating that year mm-hmm. uh, we went to grab dinner um and like looking back on it now it was kind of like the last time we interacted until like uh, and we still haven't seen each other we're not going to see each other probably till may um and it would have been almost a year so it's very surreal in that sense So Serena CT is a junior at Emory from Canfield, Ohio. And like many students last spring break, uh, she just returned home for the break. And when she was home, she told me she remembers telling a lot of her friends that she really expected to be going back despite a lot of other colleges canceling. And when she actually received the announcement that that was jarring for her, she told me that she was attending an in-person meeting with her siblings at their high school, and she had to turn off her cell phone during the meeting. And then it was only when she got back in the car and turned up her phone back on that we, she, she received the email. As soon as I turned it back on in the car, I saw that I wasn't going back. I, I would be very sick with you. I started to cry. <laughs> was already my last semester at Oxford, and it was kind of just snatched and taken away. It was like my last time in the dorm, my last time on that campus as a student. So, so she told me that after getting the announcement, fairly quickly, she and her father drove down to the campus, packed up everything, and then within the next day, drove back to Ohio. I was pretty devastated. Um, the fact that a lot of my friends actually left or had university back up for them. So I, I honestly, I saw one person. I saw her from the top of the dorm out of a window. And I called her and she sprinted all the way down, gave me a big hug and was like, I think this might be the last hug I can give anyone for a very long time. Speaking to these students, it, it's really made me reflect on the values we have as as college students and why we we go to college i really think an important reason is to build connections with people and and that's done through 
finding ways that we can be close together, I think physically, that, that we want to be in these dorms where you can say hi to people down the hall, we want to be closer together on campus. But what's so difficult is in the year since March 11th, we've been focused on the opposite. We've been focused on how we can spread ourselves out, how we can do things online instead of in person. And I think that's just very jarring for, for all of us that we want to be close, but that's just impossible right now. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Wheel Talk. Our next episode will be out March 31st, and we will be publishing episodes every other week. I'll talk to you soon. Wheel Talk is produced by Kalen Chin, Isaiah Poritz, and Gabriella Lewis. Music courtesy of Pond5 and cover art by Kalen Chin.